Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard stand at a fork in the road, so to speak. A lot of discussion about what's best for Lillard, what's best for the franchise. And the answer for those two things, uh, at least in the last couple of weeks, has not been largely the same. Damian Lillard and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, reportedly met with Blazers GM Joe Cronin yesterday. Here to talk about that and a whole bunch of other stuff. Ben Golliver, national NBA reporter at the Washington Post. Friend of the show, Ben Golliver, joining us. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, John. I, I take it Damian Lillard's keeping you pretty busy, isn't he? Yeah, it's a lot of discussion, a lot of round and round, hard to kind of interpret what it all means. That's why we're bringing you in, because I think the view from 20,000 feet might give us some clarity. Like, what do you, what do you think when you see all the, you know, the talk and the, uh, the uh, messages that are sent through media members and, hey, agent and uh, player are meeting with the GM? You know, how do you read that, Ben? Well, there's a number of reasons why they could have uh, met with Joe Cronin this week. I think obviously the one people were kind of anticipating or maybe covering their eyes and worried about was like an immediate trade request, which would immediately put Portland like right at the center of the entire free agency universe uh, before the free agency period opens on Friday. Doesn't sound like that happened. But, you know, if you're Lillard, you have a few questions you want answered. I mean, number one. Uh, there were no trades uh, on draft day or draft week, so why not? Why did you go ahead and pick three young guys? I think you would like to hear the organization's rationale there. I think, number two, you'd probably like to get a sense for how does Joe Cronin view uh, Scoot Henderson and Damian Lillard either playing together or kind of working side by side because obviously they're in very different stages of their career on a very different timelines. And then I think really what you would want to do is, is make it clear if you're Lillard, like, hey, I want some real help. I want to have a chance next year. Who are your targets, uh, whether it's free agency or trades? What kind of moves are on the table? Let's talk about who, you know, who we could potentially bring in here to Portland. And just to let Portland know, apply a little pressure. You know, take a page out of LeBron James's book and say, hey, I want some help. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's just not, like, turn this into a – a youth movement. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense for him to stick around, right? So Portland's got some decisions uh, on a guy like Jeremy Grant. You know, how much do you pay him? Uh, Do you pay him, right? And then they also have a a player in Anthony Simons who, to me, kind of feels like the odd man out if they keep Lillard and already have Scoot. I mean, how many small guards uh, who are offensive-oriented and need to have the ball in their hands do you really need on the same team, right? So these are the kinds of questions you would want to discuss if you're still on the same page with the organization, and you decided not to issue a trade request. Ben Golliver with us, Washington Post. Uh, the, the rumors immediately begin flying today. Uh, I've got people messaging me going, uh, you know, Draymond Green's in Portland. Damian Lillard has rented out El Gaucho and bought the restaurant <laughs> out. And, you know, give us an idea of if the organization, let's just say in that meeting, Damian Lillard said to Joe Cronin, as a show of faith, Find me one piece, one guy that shows me we're taking a step towards building while also nurturing these young guys. Is there a player in your mind that could be had or feels like uh, would be interested in playing alongside Lillard? 
Well, I think, first of all, I would say I don't think Portland is one piece away, right? I mean, maybe they're one piece away from being a playoff team and, you know, having uh, much more to play for than they've had these past two years where they kind of shut it down early and nobody really had a great time. But I don't think that they're one piece away. And I think if you're Joe Cronin, you're much better off being honest with the state of your roster and saying a lot of our uh, most intriguing assets are really young. We should be trying to keep the pressure off these guys. They don't need to go out there and try to have a 50-win season, Shade and Sharp and, and Scoot Henderson. That's not realistic. So I think that's important, and you should be honest to yourself and honest to Damian Lillard, too, when you're talking about that. The other factor Portland's got to worry about is how many great trade ships do they really have. Uh, I think if you're looking at their guys, I mean, Shade and Sharp, uh, you know, maybe uh, Anthony Simons, there'd be some interest there around the league. I don't think Anthony Simons, with his contract, is actually getting you all that much by himself. And you look at players like Nurkic, I mean, at this stage of his career, he doesn't really have a ton of value. So they're kind of limited on the, the type of capital you would need to go and make a, a big swing deal. Uh, at the same time, you know, the, the way these new collective bargaining agreement rules are being set up by the NBA, it actually favors teams like Portland that have felt like they've been on the outside looking in for a while. This is not going to be a super team league anymore if you go forward for the next five years. This is going to be a king-of-the-mountain type league. In other words, whichever superstar plays the best in any single given year, sort of like a Nikola Jokic who wins a title last year without having any other all-star players around him, that's who's going to go home with the rings and the championship and the valor and the glory and all that. It's not going to be like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond all on the same team just obliterating the field, right? Because they've changed the rules, it's going to have a leveling effect uh, across the entire league. So if I was Joe Cronin, that would have been part of my message this week, too. It's like, hey, Damian Lillard, look, we understand uh, we're kind of uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place with this roster, but your chance to compete next year, it's not going to be as hard as you think it is because a lot of these teams are shedding talent. Look at Golden State. They had to give away Jordan Poole because they couldn't afford to pay him that long-term contract and also take care of their other business, uh, you know, uh, if it's, you know, repaying Draymond Green or or, you know, bring it back, Clay Thompson, at some point down the road. Same thing with Boston. They wind up losing Marcus Smart, a huge player for the Boston Celtics last year, and now their depth has been compromised. Uh, you know, we saw Atlanta have to give away John Collins this week because they didn't feel like they could pay everybody. So what you're going to get is a, a more level playing field, a more any given Sunday type of vibe. And so I think that that's why you want to tell Damian Lillard, hey, look, man, we're going to go as far as you take us. If you go out there and have an MVP-type season – this landscape is going to be more level and you're going to have a shot to get back in the playoffs and do something. We don't have to hit this huge home run this summer because the NBA changed the rules. Now, whether he agrees with that or if he would prefer to go play in, you know, Miami or Brooklyn, I mean, that's kind of out of your hands, but I think that should be part of the pitch. If you're the Portland trailblazers, you break up if he would prefer to go play and Miami has come up and, you know, I get hung up on that, Ben, because I think, you know, if I'm, it whispering in the ear of Joe Cronin. I'm telling Joe Cronin, hey, err on the side of doing what's right for the Blazers, not what's right for Damian Lillard. But this league is so player-driven, and you know it, you're in it. Why don't teams more often do what's best for themselves? What danger does Portland have going down the road saying, we are just, we're in a rebuild and we're not ready to trade you, Dame? Well, there's short-term damage and there's long-term damage, right? So short-term damage is you've got an unhappy superstar-level player who doesn't want to be there, who creates a distraction over the rest of your team, 
who, you know, maybe he shows up to training camp, maybe he doesn't. You have to go through that whole song and dance like Philadelphia did with Ben Simmons. And you just, uh, it sets the entire tenor for your organization. It's very difficult to sell season tickets and to get people to tune into your games and to get people excited about your franchise when you're kind of in this open war with your star player, your franchise-level player. That's why you saw Washington, uh, you know, last week move very quickly just to trade Bradley Beal. They got pennies on the dollar, really, because they didn't want to be stuck in that type of limbo if he wanted to go somewhere and they, they didn't want to trade him there. Now, the advantage for Portland, though, is, you know, Damian Lillard doesn't have a no-trade clause. They should be able to get a real market opened up. They should be able to get even like a bidding war going for Damian Lillard because he's an all-NBA-level player, you know, an all-star many, many times over. Uh, He'd be a perfect fit in Miami in terms of what they were missing during the playoffs, and that's why that team comes up so much because they just needed more punch in their backcourt. They needed somebody else to uh, relieve the pressure off of a a Jimmy Butler and a Bam Adebayo offensively. But I think you're, you're exactly right. Joe Cronin has to do what's best for the Blazers, and to this point, he has. Taking Scoot Henderson with the number three pick and not trading that pick and bringing in a guy who could be a franchise-level player, that was a move that was absolutely in the best interest of the Portland Trail Blazers and not in the best interest of Damian Lillard. So give Cronin uh, credit for some real backbone on that one. You know, honestly, it's kind of an easy pick. You know, Scoot fell in their lap. Michael Jordan was out to lunch. He took Brandon Miller. That's fine. You know, his mistake is going to be your gain. And I do think that's sort of the the short-term damage aspect. The longer-term damage is, you know, obviously there's only a certain number of agents in the league. Star players do talk. If you don't treat your players well, especially your high-profile players, that can, uh, you know, potentially, you know, create issues with agents where, okay, maybe they don't want to work with you as much or maybe they're going to steer clients elsewhere. And you've got to kind of protect your long-term reputation as well if you're a front office. So those are some of the other reasons why teams tend to, uh, you know, follow their players' interests, you know, if there is a trade request, uh, because they realize, look, it's just kind of a road to nowhere, and it can get really, really ugly uh, if you stand too firm. Does the Blazers' ownership uh, conundrum with a trustee running the franchise factor it all in your mind into, you know, ultimately standing in this fork in the road, and, you know, d- does not having an owner to to issue a directive, is that a problem? Oh, 100%. You know, and, and here, first things first, I've been pretty hard on Jody Allen on your show over the years. Let's give her credit for the G League team name, Rip City Remix. I got a T-shirt, John. I mean, it looks awesome. Great logo. She nailed it. So good job. I understand she's taking credit for that name, so I'm going to give it to her. Uh, <laughs> but look, I mean, there's a lot more, uh, you know, to running a successful NBA organization at the highest level than just that. You've got to be, have a, a public personality. She should be on your show taking questions regularly. I'm not saying every single month, but there should be a state of, of the union, sort of like Paul Allen used to do. She should be in the meetings with Damian Lillard. Uh, you know, it shouldn't just be the front office. She should be a regular uh, participant in that. She should have been at the pre-draft workouts, every single one of those. She should be whining and dining the players getting a sense for their personalities. She should be doing all the things that her brother did, you know, who was really a cutting-edge owner kind of before his time, ahead of his time, uh, you know, in terms of how much he was spending and how involved he was uh, over the course of his entire ownership tenure. And I think that when you're looking at the teams that are the most successful in the NBA, it's committed ownership groups, it's stable ownership groups, the Miami Heat fall into that category. The Boston Celtics fall into that category. 
the Golden State Warriors fall into that category. And those are just some of the teams that have had success here recently. I mean, even the Denver Nuggets, who really haven't been huge spenders, you know, over the course of the last, say, 10 or 15 years, they have had stability. They've stuck with their coach. They've stuck with their front office uh, until uh, Tim Connolly left for Minnesota, but they kept a level of continuity after he left. Uh, they are the ones who steer the ship. And sometimes, you know, if you're a franchise-level player like Damian Lillard, who's a CEO uh, pretty much of Lillard, Inc., right, his own company, a lot of times you want to talk eye-to-eye with the people who are cutting the checks and, and making the big decisions. And, uh, you know, to me, I, I think that when you're surveying, you know, 30 ownership groups around the league, I don't think too many people are putting, uh, you know, Jody Allen in the top tier. Ben Golliver, Washington Post, is with us. I looked at the Nuggets. I was happy for the Nuggets, especially – happy looking at a team that I felt was built the right way. But what you can see in Denver's success is that there were incremental steps. And I think you've touched on that in this interview, that the Blazers aren't one signing away from mattering, right? Maybe they're one signing away from sending a message to Damian Lillard, like, hey, we're going to put someone with you so you're not alone in this this season as a veteran player. But what what can we learn? Can we learn something from the Nuggets, or is it so hard to draft a Nikola Jokic? Well, first of all, that's a great question. I got two answers for you. First of all, it's absolutely about patience. That's what Michael Malone was preaching coming out of the finals, this idea of, like, you know, Jamal Murray has a knee injury. They have to wait for 18 months. And what they did during that 18-month time period, they didn't blow it up. They didn't shed salaries. They didn't go the other direction. They didn't consider trading Jamal Murray. They made calculated moves, bringing like Aaron Gordon in, bringing Contavious Caldwell Pope in, uh, bringing in Bruce Brown, all these guys who wound up playing very important roles on that title team. A similar thing with Michael Porter Jr. This guy had three back surgeries. He missed tons of time uh, for Denver, and yet they stayed the course with him, and he played some pretty important minutes for them in the postseason as well. So they knew they had the franchise player in Jokic. They knew they had the sidekick in Murray. And it was all about the deliberate uh, piecing together of the rest of that starting lineup and rotation to put those guys in a position where they're going to be able to win consistently, finding guys who have the right chemistry, the right personality, who can win together and doing it. I mean, there's there's just no way you can, uh, you know, fast forward that. As you know, Kevin Pritchard used to always say, like, let the cake bake, right? I mean, that's a real deal. And that's something you're going to see, I think, even for a team like San Antonio, bringing in Victor Wembanyama who you know, is this 19-year-old prospect, he's going to own the world. I promise you San Antonio is going to take that thing nice and slow. They're not going to rush it. They're not going to make crazy rash decisions. Uh, they're going to go bit by bit until they build him up into a, you know, a player who can lead a, a title team. Now the other lesson, and I think this is a really big one, is that Nikola Jokic never wants the credit and always puts his team first. I think he epitomizes leadership in the NBA right now better than anybody except for maybe Steph Curry. He's right there on that elite level uh, with the Steph Curry, with the Giannis in terms of his personality. He would get awkward during these post-game press conferences. He'd go out there and have triple doubles, John, and he would say, oh, it's all about my teammates. And people would say, are you the best player on the court? He wouldn't even want to admit that he's the best player on the court. That's how shy and deferential this guy was towards his teammates. But that sets an incredible attitude of, you know, especially in a smaller market of guys who say, hey, our best player trusts us. Our best player empowers us. This is a guy who's going to feed me the ball when I'm open. He's going to make sure I'm set up for success. He's going to find me, uh, you know, on the three-point arc for the, the drive and kick passes, right? And th- that's really at the center of Denver's success. 
And I look at Damian Lillard here over the last month, and this is not all his fault because, yes, the team's been stuck and they've kind of been spinning their wheels here over the last couple of years. I understand why he's frustrated. I understand why he thinks, you know, hey, the clock's ticking here a little bit. But where's the tweet that says, hey, Scoot Henderson, welcome to Portland. I'm so excited to play with you, right? Where's the – but where's the retweet of the graphics of Scoot and Dame? I'm sure Blazers fans are putting those graphics out there on social media. Where's the welcome wagon for a guy in Scoot who, I mean, this guy graduated high school early so he could go play in the G League for two years, did nothing but grind his way uh, you know, towards becoming a lottery pick. Reminds me an awful lot of a guy like Damian Lillard who put a lot of time in at Weaver State. These guys surely have things to bond about. There's been some reports that they've been in communication uh, as well but where is the, you know, where's the leadership factor? Who's helping Scoot Anderson get comfortable in Portland? I was there in New York, you know, and I interviewed uh, Scoot as part of this big group, and a lot of the questions were about, do you think you can play with Damian Lillard? Uh, you know, are you ready to go right now because Dame wants to win? Can you be a part of a winning team right now? And I'll tell you what, for a teenage player, this guy handled himself brilliantly he answered all the questions directly honestly he talked about all the preparation he's put into his game he uh he opened with open arms you know the idea of, of playing alongside Damian Lillard he did his part and now I'm looking at the guy who's going to be making 60 million dollars in a couple of years and saying well where's the leadership you know where's welcoming these rookies onto the team uh why are you meeting with the front office and kind of casting this cloud over the entire organization why aren't you welcoming your new teammates in it at least um you know, trying to help them get settled and comfortable in Portland. I wish that was an aspect to this story that we could talk about. And unfortunately, it's just been very quiet on that front, John. I think that's a shortcoming. And again, you just ask yourself, look, if it's going to be a king of the mountain NBA where it's the best player uh, who's getting the most out of his teammates who's going to wind up winning these titles, you have to ask yourself, is Damian Lillard on that level as a player? And then are there other guys out out there right now who are getting more out of their teammates than he is? Excellent point, Ben Golliver. All right, before I cut you loose, um, just your gut feeling. Is Damian Lillard on the court in minute one of the Trail Blazers season in a Blazers uniform? Well, it, it's really tricky, man. Uh, it's not a simple answer. I would say, first of all, my expectations are relatively low, relatively modest for what Portland can do in terms of trading for talent to really help Damian Lillard in the short term. And so it, it puts it all on on his court. Now, if he wants to go ahead and Let's say he's not impressed with the moves that are made or nothing great materializes and he does issue that trade request, then I think it's definitely in Portland's best interest to get the best return that they can for him this summer and move forward with the youth movement, right? So that's why I do think a lot of this just comes down to what can Joe Cronin do here in the next seven to ten days to kind of make his pitch to Damian Lillard. But uh, to me, you don't want a guy who's not all in coming back. And so I think – after free agency, there should be another meeting between Damian Lillard and Joe Cronin where they say, hey, man, look, like we got we to gotta make sure we're still on the same page. We did the best we can. We're paying you an awful lot of money. you got to buckle up and, and get back in here and do it. And I actually think it would be pretty entertaining to watch Dame and Scoot and, and yes. Shaden Sharp and some of these other guys play. I don't think that's like the worst thing in the world. And so, um, again, that's why I'm disappointed. I would just like to see some level of optimism from the face of the franchise, right? Of like, hey, come on. Like, we got some real young talent, some guys who are going to go out there and play hard. I promise you this, John, and hold me to this. Scoot Anderson is going to give you absolutely everything he's got next year, every night. That's the kind of guy he is. He's got that workhorse mentality, that dog mentality, and it's going to be really, really fun to watch. And I think that that's a, a strong reason 
Damian Lillard should want to be around it and have a, a courtside seat for that. Ben Golliver, Washington Post. You're the best, Ben. Uh, thank you, and I appreciate you. All right, man. Take care. Good stuff from Golliver. Let's dissect it. I want your calls on that. What did you hear there? What do you think about minute one of next season? 503-417-7575. Ben Golliver, Washington Post, spitting truth on this show, among other things, talking about why Damian Lillard did not show support for Scoot Henderson after the draft. I understand why he's frustrated. I understand why he thinks, you know, hey, the clock's ticking here a little bit. But where's the tweet that says, hey, Scoot Henderson, welcome to Portland. I'm so excited to play with you, right? Where's the... But where's the retweet of the graphics of Scoot and Dame? I'm sure Blazers fans are putting those graphics out there on social media. Where's the welcome wagon for a guy in Scoot who, I mean, this guy graduated high school early so he could go play in the G League for two years, did nothing but grind his way, uh, you know, towards becoming a lottery pick. Reminds me an awful lot of a guy like Damian Lillard who put a lot of time in in Weaver State. These guys surely have things to bond about. There's been some reports that they've been in communication uh, as well. But where is the, you know, where's the leadership factor? Who's helping Scoot Anderson get comfortable in Portland? If you missed any of that interview with Ben Golliver, go back and grab it. But I thought he made great points about Portland needing to do what's right for itself, how the, what, what we can all learn from the Denver Nuggets. Great insight there. And ultimately, a summer that will be spent, I think uh, I agree with Golliver on, the, on what can the Blazers do. I think there are some small things they can do. But, you know, let's just say hypothetically if Damian Lillard and Aaron Goodwin said to Joe Cronin in this meeting, hey, look, we still we want to be here. Uh, Dame loves being here. He wants a puncher's chance to win big. Um, you know, what can you give us as a show of good faith? Uh, and Joe Cronin said, hey, give me this free agent signing period. Let me see if I can, you know, assemble a couple of players that make Damian Lillard see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe uh, – Maybe that is enough to keep Lillard here, but otherwise maybe the Blazers are having to pivot and look at life after Damian Lillard. Uh, Brian Windhorst, ESPN, talked about the meeting as well. Um, what does this meeting do? Well, this was the meeting that a lot of the league was watching to see if Damian Lillard requested a trade, and he absolutely did not. In fact, from what I understand, the tenor of the meeting was that he doesn't want to put pressure on the seven, on the uh, six on the Blazers. Uh, that he wants to see what they do in free agency, and he's going to give them that time to do that. So, this is an interesting strategy move. He said at the end of the season, "Get me veterans." The draft came and went. No veterans. He is not. He's still not pressing, from what I have been told. That he is still going to give the Blazers every opportunity to work through this free agency process this week, whether it's through trades or signing players. There is Brian Windhorst talking about the Blazers. Uh, we'll kick it around later in the show as part of Punch It Audio, but I think this is the soap opera that is going to go on through June, through July, into July, mid-July as the free agent signing period happens, and uh, keep your eyes on the next couple of few weeks. It brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the big splash. Well, LSU got it done. They got to dogpile after clobbering Florida 18-4 Monday night in Omaha. They won the Men's College World Series. 
You're an Oregon State fan. Uh, do you feel better about this? The Beavers, I think, have to feel a little bit better about getting knocked out of the postseason by the eventual national title winner. Uh, a lot of Oregon State fans were upset after watching Oregon State run out of pitching in the Baton Rouge Regional, gave up 19 hits and 13 runs in the elimination game. But LSU knocked him out, then went on to win it all. kind of think if you are Mitch Canham, you have to feel a tiny bit better about getting knocked out. Uh, Oregon State will be back next season in the postseason and be a year older and maybe a year better. But so much of the transfer portal and pitching, that's what baseball is becoming. And We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.